Milliken. And I'm Rebecca Milliken. And this is Crime and Stuff. We like to think of ourselves as the oh. podcast. <laughs> the, the podcast you do if you didn't have anything better to do. That's right. Until we find a better catchphrase. We haven't gotten yes. any suggestions. And I think people out there may now be, after our debut one last week, may now be thinking, I'm I've not got what, better things to do. <laughs> or, yeah, that, I was going to say, oh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing that. Yeah, podcast. I'd probably but, do just about anything else. And we have gotten some feedback. I, so I have some answers for the biggest questions we've been asked. No, we don't have an audio editor. <laughs> um, I, that was apparently <laughs> obvious to some people. But, you know, we could get one once we hit the big time. Yeah. And the other thing is, yes, my voice really does sound like this. Actually, no, it doesn't. It's like the camera, you know, like the camera puts <laughs> on 10 pounds. The microphone makes my voice sound like this. In real life, I sound kind of like Lauren Bacall after she's had yeah. three packs. And I had a cold, a bad cold last week. I think it's a little bit better now. People were concerned about your cold. Oh, yeah. We I'm got sure lots of were. emails and letters yeah, about that phone calls. <laughs> oh, I just wanted to update on the story we did last week. Because at the time, I did not have any information on what was going on. And and that was the yoga twins. The yoga twins. Alexandria Duvall has been charged with second-degree murder and the death of her sister, Anastasia. But she is actually in Albany still. Um, She's in jail. Albany, New York. Albany, New York, where she was arrested. Her lawyer in Albany had argued successfully to keep her there until her court date. December 16th. Mm. So we'll keep an eye on that. So she's just kind of in a holding pattern right now. Right. And we'll let you know what happens. And the other thing is, we did say that we thought maybe they switched, but I remembered that. And one twin was pretending she was actually the other one. Because we've seen a lot of TV shows. Yeah, on TV they do it all the time. It always happens. They do it all the time. If a twin, if an identical twin gets murdered on a soap opera, you know that it was really the other one who was yes, murdered and the one yes. you think was murdered is pretending. Yes. And as, a lot of times, too, if one of them sleeps with somebody. They are um, pretending, to be, pretending the to be the other one. Oh, and gets pregnant and someone gets pregnant or something. They, they do have different fingerprints. I found, I realized that. So, so identical twins, even though their DNA is the same, their fingerprints are unique. So they have both been arrested before. So, so probably they wouldn't be able to get away with that. Would be on file. Yeah. Well, another dream dies. So I guess we didn't solve the case after all. Oh well. And we don't need to solve today's case okay. because he's the he's police, yeah, the police got to it before okay. we did. So I guess that's on to today's topic. Oh right. Right. Did you have anything else? No. No. Oh I oh. I just remembered I have a correction. Our website is oh. yeah, crimeandstuffonline.com. Crime A N D stuff online. Okay. Not just crime and stuff. Online. Okay. And it's the word and, not an ampersand. That could be our catchphrase, but it's kind of boring. I know. And the, okay, for All this right. week's topic. Yes, what is this week's Well, I'd like to start with a question. And it's multiple choice, right. so so you don't have to think too hard. Yeah. If you walked into, say, a real estate office, and the guy you were there to do business with was watching porn and made no move to hide it or turn it off, would you, A, think nothing of it, B, raise your eyebrows, think it's off-putting, but he's such a darn good realtor, you'll give him a pass, or C, run like hell out of there and assume he's a psycho. Well, I probably wouldn't do any of those. I'd be disgusted. I, I'd probably leave. For purposes of this exercise. Okay, I, I think it, it would well, be safe. But if, right. It, but yes, I'm, that's what you would think. If you said A or B, you're in the majority in the case of uh-huh. Tyne Colha. Right, see what I'm doing? The South Carolina man charged with seven murders and who's allegedly confessed to all of them. And I say allegedly because he it seems like he did them, but, you know, you never know with the police. He was arrested in early November when Kayla Brown, who'd been missing for three months, was found chained in a storage container on a 100-acre farm he owns. I heard about that, yeah. Right, in South Carolina. After she was freed, Cole Hepp admitted to shooting her boyfriend, Charles Carver, to death. He also admitted to killing Megan and Johnny Coxie the year before. They'd been reported missing, and he buried them on his property. And, in the most stunning turn of events... He admitted to the 2003 murders of four people in a motorcycle shop. It was a case that had confounded investigators for 13 years. People who knew him, while many admit he's a little off, are shocked. Shocked! (laughs) He killed seven people. It's just a little odd. And yeah, it is shocked. But this is also a story about how, if you're going to target somebody from a young age as a potential serial killer, he'd be the guy. 
It's a story of how, as guilty as Kolhep apparently is, everyone from the people in the legal system to his co-workers to neighbors, and particularly his mother, gave him a pass that allowed his behavior to apparently go unchecked. We find that happening quite a bit, though. Yes, but this is, I mean, you'll see. Todd Kolhep was born Tom Samsell on March 7th, 1971, Pisces, in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. His mother and father, Regina and William Samsell, divorced when Todd was one or two. His father, a veteran with a reported love of guns, moved to Arizona and had no contact with his son for nearly a decade. Mm. A People magazine report quoted one of Cole Hop's lawyers from his juvenile conviction, and we'll have more on that later. Oh, yes, I'm, I was going to ask you. Said that, said, quote, Cole Hop's birth father allowed him to be adopted because he couldn't control his son's violent behavior and unpredictable outbursts. And yeah, that was please. when the kid was one or two. Regina married Carl Kohlhop when Todd was about three, and Carl adopted Todd. But when you say he allowed him to be adopted... Well, you have to give up your parental rights. No, no. what I'm going to ask you is, you said because he couldn't control... Because the kid couldn't control himself, or because the father couldn't control himself? When you said... The, the, he, the kid, the father he. couldn't... The kid couldn't okay. control himself. The kid okay. was too much for the father. Okay. And this was when okay. he was an infant. Yes. So, Todd was not a good boy. Beginning in preschool, he hit others and broke their toys. He was tossed out of Boy Scouts at least twice for disruptive behavior. He bleached a goldfish to death. Because, yeah. Right? Because he wanted a gerbil. Right, yeah. <laughs> I, Sorry, I, I think it could have been anything and he would have still have killed it. I don't know. He shot a dog with a BB gun. And this was all in his first eight or nine years. Ugh, what a horrible And, person. big surprise, he and his stepfather, or adopted father... Didn't get along. Most of the stories I looked at um, still refer to him as the stepfather because yeah. the, his his biological father plays a part in okay. his life later. His mother and stepfather divorced and remarried a couple of times during da- Todd's childhood because mm. of his behavior. More on that later and more on the mom later. Mm. All that aside, it was in the early 1980s when things really got out of hand. In 1980, when Todd was 9 or 10, he spent time in the Georgia Mental Health Institute because of his destructive, hostile, and aggressive behavior. According to an evaluation reported by South Carolina's Gaston Gazette, which I have to say is one of the hardest-working newspapers I've seen, they, they did a lot of really good reporting on this story. Mm-hmm. He was found to be, quote, openly hostile toward his stepfather, unquote, and, quote, obsessed with sexual content, unquote. Wow. The How news- old is he? I mean, He's like nine. Oh, okay. Nine, okay. The newspaper reports he was put on Thorazine, which is an antipsychotic, mm-hmm. and which briefly helped his behavior Somewhat. It's pretty heavy duty. In 1982, when Todd was 11, Regina and Carl separated, and he went to visit his dad, his biological dad, in Arizona. When he came back home from the visit, he began acting out, including, <laughs> according to the Gaston Gazette, wrecking his newly remodeled bedroom with a hammer mm. and threatening to kill his mother or himself unless she sent him back to Arizona to his dad's house. In an October 1982 South Carolina school evaluation, he was called disruptful, easily frustrated, and defiant. Regina sent him back to live with his dad in Arizona so she could, quote, get herself together, according to the Gazette. According to the Gazette and other accounts, Todd later told the court that he and his father got along well at first, but things went downhill fast. They fought a lot, and Todd claimed his dad was abusive. His dad told the court that the only emotion Todd was capable of was anger. Hmm. William Samsell, Todd's dad, said he bought his son models to put together and Todd threw them out or wrecked them when he was halfway done, for instance. In another case, he put a neighbor kid in a dog carrier and rolled it down the street. <laughs> no, it's not funny. And then he laughed <laughs> as the child cried. The Greenville News, um, another hard-working local paper, reports that Todd worked as a busboy in his dad's ribs restaurant. And Todd claimed to the court that his dad was away from home a lot with a variety of girlfriends, although that doesn't seem to have been substantiated in any way. The news also reported that Todd wanted to return home to his mom, but that mm. she, quote, made excuses to prolong his stay. Can you blame her? Unquote. No, I don't. In a 1987 evaluation, she also said that, that he wanted her all to himself and did whatever he could to wreck her mirrors with Carl. Mm. So I guess that's another reason she wanted him there in Arizona. An Arizona neighbor, meanwhile, said that the boy would starve for attention and affection and called him a devil on a chain. The neighbor mm, called the kid, referred to the kid as mm-hmm. So here we are. Praise. Todd is still in Arizona. Mom doesn't want him at home. He's now 14, 15 rather, yeah. in November of 1986. 
And I want to point out the month of November plays a big part. I don't know if it's significant to him or not, but a lot of things seem to happen to him in November. Maybe this was the, the first one. November, right? It's kind of weird. Yeah, or maybe he has. It's sad. Yeah, yeah. Although I don't know if you get that in Arizona. Probably not. Seasonal affective no, disorder. I doubt it. Anyway, so in November 1986, his father was away on a business trip and had a friend looking in on Todd, who was 15, so he could take care of himself. I guess so. And Oh, this was the 80s, right? Yeah. Right. Todd tells a 14-year-old neighbor girl, and he had a crush on her. She was nice to him, but did not reciprocate, according to reports. But he lured her out of her house by telling her that her boyfriend wanted to talk to her. And so, of course, she came skipping out of the house. He then marched her to his house at gunpoint. Ah. Yes, tied her up, bound her, duct taped her mouth shut, raped her, Ah. brought her home, and told her if she told anyone, he'd kill her sister and brother. But despite that, the police were notified and Todd Todd was arrested. Even though he was 15, he ended up being tried as an adult in that case. And here's why. An evaluation determined that though he wasn't psychotic, and you know, psychotic. He sounds psychotic to me. Well, it has a I know it does. I know. So anyway... His personality flaws were such that his aggressive behavior would continue and escalate. That he ignored and distorted reality and had, quote, excessively strange impulses and feelings, unquote, a limited capacity to tolerate unpleasant affects, and was antisocial. He had above average intelligence, which I don't think counts when you have all that other stuff to tell you the truth. A court document from the time also said, quote, behaviorally, that's a word I can Behaviorally. Thank you. He is demanding, self-centered, and likely attempts to force others to do what he wants in order to meet his own needs. Because he was like a sociopath or a psychopath. The judge ruling Todd be tried as an adult said he was aggressive to others and destructive since nursery school. He destroys his own belongings and pets seemingly on a whim. And, quote, six years of intervention and 15 years of life resulted in abysmal failure, end quote. Hmm. 25 months of the most intensive and expensive personal intervention will provide no protection for the public. Keep that in mind. And to wrap it up, the judge said there is no rehabilitation for this juvenile. Whoa. Todd, for his part, said that he he abducted and raped his neighbor, the neighbor girl, in an act of rebellion because he was mad at his dad for leaving him alone at home. His mom said at the time, told the court, that she believed he had no remorse for the crime. Uh, and like yet, it. his mother, and this is a recurring theme, begged the judge to be lenient and said he was, quote, not a bad boy. Okay, right. Mom. She seemed to kind of blame the dad, saying that Tom put him on a pedestal and believed everything he said was the absolute truth. I don't see what that has to do with I don't either, so I'm not sure why. <laughs> she also pointed out that Todd knew he'd done wrong. She said her heart ached for the girl, but also for Todd because he's only 15. And... And this is my favorite part. She said, and this is a quote from Mom, Regina, they don't stop to think he walked the girl home. Does, <laughs> does that Sorry. sound like a hardened criminal? He walked the girl home. <laughs> I know. Yeah, Mom. He also walked her to his house at some point where he found yeah. and raped her, threatened to kill her Maybe siblings. Maybe to make sure she wouldn't she go to the- He was sentenced to 15 years without parole in a plea deal that dropped the sexual assault charge. And only, and he was only charged with kidnapping. But despite that, part of the plea deal was he had to register as a sexual offender when he got out. Probation officer's report called the sentence, quote, a travesty of justice, unquote, and said that, quote, it is this type of individual, one with little or no conscience, who presents the greatest risk to the community. This all plays out later, and you'll see when Todd becomes an adult. There was some concern about. Todd at the time, and it, what kind of person he might be, but it didn't seem really focused. His attorney in, in that childhood case, Alan Bickart, told People Magazine, quote, he was a very troubled, vicious kid. We knew he was screwed up. We knew he had a lot of problems. But he also said that his main concern was how Todd would treat women in the future, mm-hmm. and nobody thought he would become a killer, much less a serial killer. Oh, just a rape. Well, he thinks that Cole Hepp would have been more closely examined had that case happen after Columbine, which was 1999. Yeah, probably. But I don't know. I read that Jeffrey Dahmer was before that, and he killed animals and other stuff. And I think people would know at this how a a serial killer behaves as a child. 
I think so. I mean, um, Ted Bundy, he was put to death before Colin. It was 80, 89. I mean, the people knew about him. And Bickart said he was bright, he was semi-articulate. He was obviously... Semi-articulate. He was obviously screwed up, but the only thing he wanted to know was, how much time am I going to do? I engaged a psychiatrist. This is Bickart, the lawyer, talking. And the psychiatrist really did a very good job of saying, quote, this can be a dangerous person, unquote. Keep in mind, we were only looking at rape. We weren't looking at a murder. The question is, do you think that this person would commit murder later on? I had a hard time doing it. I was very conflicted about it. At the time, none of the three parents wanted to claim responsibility for him, according to the Greenville News. And the most telling piece of information to me that I feel had a big impact on why things happened the way they did later was, was a report from a psychiatrist at the time that seemed to go totally unheeded, saying that Todd needed to be confronted over and over again about his aggressive behavior and the fact that he needs to take responsibility. Mm-hmm. And that obviously didn't happen. No, it doesn't saw his mom. Bickart said Todd didn't qualify for the state mental hospital because, quote, he didn't show all the signs of being a complete wacko, unquote, mm-hmm. according to the people. He was complete, quote. only like 90%. He was only, yeah. He was only like the worst kind of teenage kid you would see and think, what's this kid going to be like when he grows up? Flash forward to August of 2001. 15 years later when Todd gets out of prison, or rather 14 years later. He's 30 and has been in since he was 15, yes. and he goes to live with his mom in South Carolina. You know, he's been in prison since he was 15. He doesn't know how to drive a car or anything. He got a computer certificate in prison. He goes to community college in South Carolina and also gets a graphic design job at a company that makes, like, sports shirts and stuff. Hmm where he works until November of 2003. Also in November of 2003 in a nearby town in South Carolina, four people in a motorcycle shop are killed. They're shot to death. The shop owner, his mother who did the books, a mechanic, and another guy who worked there. And police had few leads and never got far with the case. For a long time, they focused on the wife of the owner of the shop, but they had no evidence against her because she didn't do it. They kind of hounded her for a long time. She was on a 48 Hours mystery episode. I'm surprised they didn't, like, get her to confess somehow. Yeah, well, she maybe she was too smart for that. No offense, police. Yeah. And meanwhile, Todd is building a life, and in 2006 gets a real estate license. Hmm. He reels a line of bull about the kidnapping charge because he had to reveal in his application that oh, he, he had a, a right. No, well, I'm getting to that, oh, but that he had a criminal conviction, and he said it was a girlfriend thing, and her father got involved, and same thing with the sex offender thing. Oh, basically, yeah. it was a oh, it was a line of bull, and he built a successful business, eventually employing about a dozen agents. And the sex offender status was common knowledge. Apparently, people took his word for what it was, no. and I looked him up on the South Carolina Sex Offender Registry, and it has the kid. It doesn't have a lot of details. It has the kidnapping, and then if you click on it, it says person is on the sex offender registry because of a sex crime in another state. Go to that state for the details. I went on Arizona's, and he's not on it. Hmm. So anybody doing some research, and you'll see one woman a little later was grossed out enough by him that she did. It isn't necessarily going to find out what he did in Arizona, and that was before the internet was big. And I was also wondering the fact that you might know, or maybe Matt, our lawyer, would know. If you're tried as an adult, does that mean your your record is open? It is, yeah. public knowledge. Right. Okay. As opposed to... Yes, that's part of being tried as an adult. But I looked on... I didn't do an extensive search, but I looked on Arizona's criminal records thing and didn't find anything but I didn't go very deep into it. He also did one of my favorite true crime offender things which is lie about his past. For instance he put on his bio, I don't I don't know if this was LinkedIn, I think it was on his company's website all that stuff's been removed from the University ah. I know, that he did work for a company called ACI, the Arizona Consumer Industries from 1991 hmm. to 2001 where he specialized ah. in print Vinyl and engraving media. But ACI is actually the Arizona Correctional yeah. Industries. It's a prison program that makes those products. License plates. So, and, and it makes other products that they sell. Like, you know, mainly well, he prison. didn't lie. Well, he, I think That's he was having a, a little fun. He also claimed that from 1998 to 2001, he earned a BA in computer science and graduated at the top of my class from a South Carolina college. When actually he had gotten a computer science certificate in prison. And maybe he did graduate at the top he of his class. He probably was at the but, top of his class. But, so he had this wacky sense of humor, and that'll come up a little later. <laughs> and and a, a lot of people thought he was great. He was high energy. They admired his success. He was a workaholic, a, a go-getter. He was eager. He had a five-star rating on Zillow, our favorite real estate uh, spine. You know, people said he was cocky and arrogant, but he earned it because he was so great. 
we won't get into the whole gender thing. Yeah, yeah. We being all cocky and arrogant. Girls. Yeah. But there were little things. One person who described herself as a friend in one of the articles I read said that he had a disconnect as far as emotions went. But people who described themselves as his friend and stuff seemed to give him a pass on that stuff. Other people were a little more wary of him, but not alarmed. They thought he was a bragger, self-obsessed, but uh, he was such a good realtor. The Associated Press reported, quote, he was the kind of double-A, hair-on-fire kind of guy. This is a quote from a guy named Lawrence Shorts, who was a mortgage maker who worked on transactions with him apparently a lot. You felt that if he wanted to take you out, he could take you out easily. And that doesn't mean take you out for an ice cream. Friends, <laughs> that means kill you, I think. Or maybe just take you down, like, you know. Right, you like know, punch like, you in the face. Or no, I thought something. he, oh, did he meant but, it physically? I but, was thinking maybe just, like. No, I thought he meant, like, kill you. Metaphor. But anyway, Colehep made ominous comments about having trouble sleeping and how he would, quote, know where people live, Short Ooh. said. And Short said, and this is another, I love this one. There were a lot of quotes from different people about this, but this was the best one. Quote, you used to walk in his office and he had porno going on. I can remember walking in there two or three times, and there was pornography on his dad-gummed laptop. <laughs> Realtors would walk in, and he had it on there, too. See, there was something wrong with it's, somebody. Well, there was something wrong, but, who does but that? it is sexual harassment, too. Like, even if you're not it an is. employee In fact, somebody, I know someone who got in trouble once for showing somebody a, a photo in a magazine yes. or years ago, before the old... Well, I had someone that showed a photo on an on a iPhone, and they got Right. So. Shorts, the guy who just said that, distanced himself in recent years from Cole Hepp. And gee, I wonder why. He said Cole Hepp would say things like, you know, I don't sleep much at night and I get up at three o'clock in the morning and I kind of know where people live. So I don't know what the hell that means. I know, that is kind of... When he bought his big hundred acre farm, which he didn't live at, he lived in a house in a subdivision. In the Was sub- he married? No. Uh, he lived in a, yeah, like hard to believe. Well, yeah. like that. So he bought this hundred acre farm in 2014, he installed deer cameras, bear traps, and a yeah. chain link fence, $80,000 chain link fence all the oh. way around it. The people were looked a little askance at that in the neighborhood, especially because people had hunted on that land, and he's like, yeah. oh, you're not hunting here anymore. They used to hear him shooting at night and thought he was target practicing, although it was weird to be doing it at night. Uh, he had, a, I guess the police found a shitload of guns. Although he was a convicted felon, he wasn't supposed to be. All the people who were more wary of him than the ones I've (laughs) told you about, and I don't know if it's coincident or not, but they were women in all the stories I read. One potential customer said she had, quote, the most adverse reaction to him and was creeped out by him. And another Mm -hmm. described him as self-absorbed and really annoying. Fox Carolina reported that a woman named Jennifer Waddell, who was looking to buy a home, used him as her agent. This was just last year, and she said he immediately set off red flags. She said he was very erratic, weird behavior, creepy eyes. She ended up buying the home, and during her closing meeting, she said he acted very strange. Quote, at the end of the closing, he was bragging about his guns and stating how he was stressed out and how he was going to go shoot guns when he left, Waddell said. So she was creeped out enough that she went on the internet and started doing some research on him. I'd be creeped out because he knows where she lives. She searched on the internet and found out that he was a registered sex offender, and he's a felon, and he had owned guns, which is, as we yeah. just discussed, as well. And she says, quote, I contacted the Greenville Board of Realtors. They stated that they knew who he was. They've had repeated complaints hmm. about him. They had to bring him in several times to their office because of problems, although it doesn't specify what the complaints were. I wonder if it had to do with porn on the old computer. And it was so bad that he left the county and took his license to Spartanburg. And she contacted the Spartanburg County Sheriff's Department and asked to speak to the sex offender's office. And they told her he had to have special approval and that he had special approval. And I don't know if that means to have guns or to work as a realtor. The I story. to work as a realtor. Because you can't have guns if you're a felon. There's no special yeah. approval. He also con- exhibited what, like I said, he had a wacky sense of humor on the re- real estate homepage that is no longer there. Or at least his stuff on it. He got results of it employees, he said, by denying them food. Ha <laughs> <laughs> and you'd be surprised. He said something like, you'd be surprised after three days how productive they can be after three days. And he also so frequently on Facebook posted rants about people like guys in the grocery store aisle, blocking the aisle, trying to decide what microbrew they were going well, to buy, blocking no. the guys who are going after their Mick Ultra farther down the aisle. I kind of can, yeah, I kinda can I know, sympathize yeah. with right, that. Right, the hipsters. 
Well, Nick Ultra is right. like water. Well, but but he's the Nick Ultra. Oh well, then then I don't. He's he's that. the guys buying the microbrew are oh. blocking the guys who want to go get their Nick Ultra oh, well. in the aisle because they're because they can't decide which floppy okay, little I microbrew get. to get and oh. blocking the real I men who are going farther yes, down the aisle the to get that Nick Ultra. Around the same time he bought that land in 2014, mm-hmm. some odd Amazon product reviews started appearing. And they've been linked to his computer, one for a knife, talking about how it would be good to take people out. One for a shovel, referring to how it would be good to bury bodies with if you mm. love your bigger shovel at home. Mm. Stuff like that. You know, and I know it's a thing now on Amazon yeah, to post thing. reviews that are ironic or allegedly yeah. funny or something. And maybe that's what people thought he was doing. And he did have that wacky sense of humor that people love so much. Like. And, you know, generally people thought he was an okay guy, and many friends after he was arrested said they couldn't believe he'd be capable of the crimes he's charged with. Yeah. And a lot of people said he wasn't the biggest people person, but he was smart and businesslike and protective of his realtors. The Gaston Gazette actually talked to a psychiatrist about that. Good for them. Deborah Leporowski, the psychiatrist in South Carolina, said, quote, that's not an uncommon reaction to have. To a serial killer. Yeah. Many are charismatic, agreeable, charming, say the right things, but can also be a grizzly underneath when they don't get their way. Duh. And he has to be in control. Mm-hmm. If he didn't kill, she said if he didn't kill between the 2003 Superbike quadruple murder, the Moxies who were killed in December of 2015, it was because he was deliberately trying to avoid detection. And I almost wonder if he bought the farm planning, saying, okay, oh, sure. I can, I have this big... 100-acre farm mm-hmm. fenced in, and I can kill people with impunity and bury them. And, nobody's and he may them. have killed. Right. Um, well, and that's the thing. Know. They don't yeah. know. He confessed all this stuff to his mom <sighs> after he was arrested, and she said he told her he didn't kill anybody else. Oh, well, I'm sure. Serial killers are disconnected from emotions, but they also know how to react yes. with emotion because yeah. they're smart people. For instance, um, Leporowski said that they can be like, oh, I'm at a funeral. So I should act sad. Yeah. So they're acting sad, and most people buy it, but it's not genuine remorse. And like many serial killers, she said, he's driven by the thrill, the power, and control, and it's often mixed with sexual deviance. Mm. And I think that goes all the way back to what how he yeah. was diagnosed as a kid. So he was arrested. Cell phone signals brought searchers to the last area where Kayla Brown and her boyfriend, Charles Carver, had been. They had cleaned houses that Cole Hepp was selling and had gone to his farm to do some work for him. Did they tell people they were going there or anything? I don't know. I would think not. But they, they weren't. They looked yeah. for him for three months. Yeah. So that, yeah. so they got there and Kayla Brown heard them searching for her and was banging on the metal container she was found in. And oh, everybody already knows God, that she was yeah, chained yeah. by the neck and the ankle. Oh. She was in a cage. She said... He had shot her boyfriend yeah. right in front of her, which he admitted to. He probably did. I mean, that's a good way to control somebody. And he also admitted to killing the Moxies the December before, who had been reported missing. And they were they had also cleaned houses for him. And they had been in jail. They had just gotten out of jail for panhandling. They had a little baby mm-hmm. and had been reported missing by the mother of one of them. I almost think like those Amazon reviews were his way of kind of bragging yeah. about what he was doing. You know, yeah, kind it, of like a, a an anonymous brag. Yeah. Right. He sounds to me like somebody who, who would have to brag. And I almost wonder if that's why he so readily confessed, because he was, hey, look what I did. And then, to the shock of everyone, he confessed to, I mean, no, I'm sorry, not Moxie's Coxie. Oh, Coxie. It's spelled like Moxie. Only yes. He confessed to that the day after he was arrested for kidnapping Caleb Brown and killing Charles Carver. Then later that night, after he confessed to killing the Coxies, he stunned the police by confessing to the Superbike uh-huh. quadruple murder in 2003. And he knew things, according to the police, he knew things only the killer could know. Mm-hmm. Sheriff Chuck Wright, who prayed with Colhop after he arrested him, said, quote, God answered our prayers. It wasn't for him answering our prayers and Todd talking to us. I don't know that we would have ever solved that case. We prayed for God to show us, and he did. Thanks, God. So I guess that's a big investigative technique. Yeah, God will help you. But I don't know why God took so long to to show them. Oh, and then there was also Todd talking to them and the cell phone signals and then and Todd confessing to his crimes. God help themselves. Yeah. Sheriff Wright said that, also said, and I guess he didn't read the article with the interview with the psychiatrist, said that um, Kohlhoff was polite and remorseful. 
And here comes Todd's mom. And I don't know how many people saw the 48 Hours mystery with her on it. And she was extremely upset. She was upset about the murders, upset for the people killed. But she's also in total denial about her son. She said he's not a monster. He's not even close to it. He wasn't doing it for enjoyment. He was doing it because he was mad and hurt. Charles Carver, quote, had a really smart mouth. Smarted off to him and made a well, man. Well, you know, you then gotta those watch what you say. People at the motorcycle shop, Todd went in to buy a motorcycle. He didn't know how to ride one. He wanted to be taught how to ride one. They took him out to some field with all his high brush. He fell off. They all laughed at oh him. Oh my gosh. They and he wanted to return the motorcycle and get his money back and they said he could return the motorcycle. And this is according to what he told his mom. So you have to remember this is a nutty serial killer. Yes. He could return the motorcycle, but wouldn't get his money back. And they laughed at him and made fun of him. Mm. And so he was really mad and hurt. And so that's why he killed him. And the mom's interview on 48 hours is upset as she is for the people who were killed. And she seems genuinely upset. The excuses she makes for this guy are just, just a huge illustration of what's been going on. Well, maybe, but the other mm-hmm. thing is, if it's your, if you're the mother of someone like that, it's probably hard to, not, I'm mm-hmm. not excusing you. You are a mom. I am. Oh, yes. Yes. You wouldn't understand. Not, I wouldn't understand. No, but, but what I'm saying is, somebody, you're almost admitting that you created this monster. Well, she did. I know, but yeah, would you want to admit that? Oh yeah, I sucked as a mother. So I mean, I'm not saying that's the only reason. Some of no. he obviously he obviously had mental problems. Right, he did. And I also wonder if he's on. Not that people who are on the autism spectrum are violent or anything, but if you are a violent person and you happen to be right. on the spectrum, you would have a, a trouble with emotion, understanding human emotion, having apathy, uh, empathy, empathy, empathy. <laughs> being empathetic. That well, I do, be. I do have to say I've read numerous articles about this and not one and nobody has said anything about him being on the autism spectrum. You can be a sociopath, yeah, a sociopath and have a disconnect from yes, emotions yes, and I stuff. Yes, his next court appearance is January 19th. 30 years to the day after his one in Arizona where it was ruled he'd be tried as an adult. What I like to think of as the cherry on top of this Sunday, he wants to represent himself. That is the story of Todd Colehep, the... South Carolina serial killer. I don't want people to think I'm a man basher, but... They already think that. But it seems to me that when someone's like... like I'm going to generalize, but it seems like women tend to notice weird personality things a lot more than men. It doesn't always follow, but a guy will walk in and someone's saying, oh, that's kind of weird. Well, well. Yeah, you know, oh, geez, watching like, porn at and work. I and I remember it um, someone I worked with, her husband was friends with a doctor who got in trouble for molesting uh, children. This was years ago. And her husband, this woman I worked with, her husband was a doc, a colleague of his. And, well, he's a really good doctor. Like, he, right. Like, well, it's just like with this. He's oh, a really he's a good, good doctor. Yeah, he's a good real. I mean, come on, people. And like and and like you pointed out, a lot of women were like, "Yeah, he was creepy." Like like I've met people that give me a bad vibe. You know, we've all known people mm-hmm. that a man or someone yeah. that like give you a weird feeling, yeah. and women will be like, "That guy's really weird," and guys yeah. will be like, "Ooh, he seems okay." Yeah, it's I get like always... I get like a physical reaction, either positive or negative, to almost everybody I'm mm-hmm. around. Yes, no, not like that. But you know, I and it's like if like somebody that. if somebody gives you. A creepy feeling, chances are there's a reason for yeah. it and somebody wants to stay away with it. Take that a step further. If you walk into somebody's office and he's got porn playing on the computer, I, I wish we had some porn background music for this. And doesn't turn it off, doesn't hide it. I know, even, it doesn't even To like, me, th- th- there is something wrong with that. that that's guy. really weird. And I don't care how good a realtor he is, there's something. I, I would hurting. never. No, if not if to, I not think... to obsess on. With that, when he's killed seven people. And a goldfish. You know, to me, that would be, that would tell me this guy is not normal. No, there's Somebody needs to look at him. And it doesn't sound like anybody tried very hard to find out Well, about. from what I've seen of him, he's a very large person. He's huge. He's yeah. Well, he's only 5'11", but he's like 300 pounds. Oh, okay. He looked really big because his picture, his neck looks really big. 
So that part he, of it might he probably be is intimidating. Or, it's hard because if you know, you know, like not even friends, just have an acquaintance, you don't think, oh, that guy is probably some kind of murderer. I mean, yeah. you well, might I joke thought. about it. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes you do. No. But yeah, but well, I think that's one thing people don't want to believe someone they know. But it's funny, people don't want to believe they the believe guy they know themselves. who really is a serial killer is a serial killer. Yeah. But yet people will take all sorts of little tiny things mm-hmm. and and make it some big drama. What I'm interested though in finding out is if there are any more bodies. I was going to say, I wonder if there's other victims. They said they're checking his farm. Because, you know, people like him, that's one of the reasons they pick people who are at um, the fringes of society. Right, like the panhandler couple. Yeah, panhandlers um, are, may be are a, sex workers that have run away, that their family's not... People they assume that maybe no one's going to be reporting missing or looking for. Well, for some reason, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if he had them on that property and was like doing that, like what was that short story, The Most Dangerous the, Game? Right. Hunting humans. I, I wouldn't surprise yeah. me. Yeah, it sounds like something. Maybe he did. Maybe he and did. See, look, although, he, although with Kayla Brown and Charles Carver, he just shot yeah. Charles Carver. He wasn't hunting them or anything. He no. just, and it's funny because, it, not funny, haha, his whole excuse to his mom about why he kept her chained up in that storage container was he didn't know what to do with her because he had killed her boyfriend and he couldn't let her go. And I'm like, so why didn't he just kill her, too? I mean, obviously, and, and they haven't said publicly if she was sexually assaulted. I'm assuming. And, you know, I don't want to get into all the details yeah. on that. There's really no reason for him to keep her chained up in a storage container. He killed the yeah. Coxies, Megan Coxie and Johnny Coxie. And when you asked earlier about, I just remembered this, when you asked earlier about whether they told anyone they were going there, they didn't. She had told her mom they were in jail for panhandling. Uh, and she had told her mom that she got a new job. Well, that was the Coxies. I was asking about right. them, the car. Oh, that's right. You, you were sorry. But you don't necessarily tell people where you go. No. I mean, I don't. I go do stuff all the time. I mean, who am I going to tell? I mean, if that's yeah. from... I you tell, know, you know, the people I live I with. I tell my cats. The people I live with right now, I tell. <laughs> for my parents <laughs> but anyway that wraps up this week's topic thank you yeah. oh you're welcome it was a pleasure and next week we're gonna have a special main themed one where we're gonna it's the coming up the fifth anniversary of the disappearance of Waterville toddler Ayla Reynolds and we're gonna and nobody's ever been charged and they haven't found her um mm-hmm. it's one of Maine's most extensive criminal cases one of the it was the biggest, the biggest, the biggest. right criminal investigation the state has ever done and so we'll talk about that next week and maybe some other stuff maybe, maybe the Gilmore girls if we're both uh, uh, yes we can talk about that I know. so everybody who's listening watch it now so um we don't spoil it I mean, yeah not that they're a crime well we can talk about that too yeah. but anyway okay <laughs> Hey, this is Ask a Lawyer, and we have Matt Nichols, criminal defense attorney with Nichols and Churchill. I always want to say Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe, but I know lawyers don't think it's <laughs> very funny. <laughs> uh, Sorry. And our question today is, is it illegal for cops to lie to a suspect during an interrogation? It's perfectly legal for police officers to lie to a suspect during an interrogation. The Supreme Court, I actually, this one is, is firm in the minds of anyone who went to law school. Frazier versus Cuck is the U.S. Supreme Court case from 1969, in which the Supreme Court clearly states that it's perfectly legal interrogation tactic to lie to suspects. That particular case is a great example of one of those interrogation techniques where you had two suspects in a murder case as, as a co-suspect. Very common tactic. The police officers, the detectives separate the two, put them in separate rooms. They go in and tell one of the guys, "Hey, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to tell us about the the murder and your involvement because your buddy already yeah. already, already, already packed and, yeah. and, and told us all that. We just need a few details." You know, the dumb shit uh, <laughs> bought that with line and sinker and eventually confessed to the murder. And they were, uh, he was convicted, and the other fellow pled guilty as without a trial cop did have a trial and they tried to suppress those statements based on some kind of unfair play theory and also a Sixth Amendment violation and a Fifth Amendment violation, but it didn't get anywhere. Now, can you remind our listeners what the Fifth and Sixth Amendments are? Because I know everybody knows what the second one is and some of us know what the first (laughs) one is, but I think after that it's a little fuzzy for everyone. In in this context, the Fifth Amendment is right against self-incrimination. 
and that is um, that's pretty obvious. The um, Sixth Amendment is the person's right to counsel, and that attaches once formal proceedings have begun. Fifth Amendment attaches as soon as a person is actually uh, taken into formal custody. Again, what the Supreme Court calls basically what an average person would, would think was uh, would consider to be a formal arrest. Right. Now, there's some limitations with lying to suspects that should be made clear. The Fifth Amendment, under the Fifth Amendment, the, the statements by the suspect, the defendant, have to be voluntary. And the burden's on the state to show that. And uh, by voluntary means that you can't use the rubber hose technique. Mm-hmm. Okay, in other words, the sword of Damocles hanging over your head, you can't, you can't do that. Likewise, promises of leniency. I was going to say, a lot right. of times they promise, yeah, they yeah. make promises which they, which they obviously have no control over. They're not, the police officers got no authority yeah. to give promises of leniency. Only the prosecuting attorney has right. the uh, authority to do that. Now, do you feel that's something that happens frequently? Right on the edge. Yeah. Uh, example, get a defendant in custody and the police officer says, geez, you know, if, if, you, if you come clean and tell us the truth about what happened, I'm going to go talk to the district attorney. She's a really good friend of mine. You get along really good, and I'm going to tell her how much you cooperated. Uh, you'll probably feel a lot better if you tell the truth. Okay, now you, you're going to ask someone in a black robe to decide whether or not that was a promise of leniency or kind of just right. saying, I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to talk to the DA. And, you know. right. and they're kind of playing it. And um, this is a whole different topic that maybe we can talk about another time. In fact, I plan to do it as a show topic at some point about the phenomena of false confessions and how police sometimes kind of manipulate. manipulate. In Europe, the whole way of interrogating witnesses is completely different. They're looking for facts, and they ask people questions to elicit facts. Where in the U.S., they follow this, and I don't want to get on the whole topic here, but they follow this. But yet I am. The, this um, I can't remember what it's called. This, but it's somebody's um, strategy of. It's inbound and read. Yes. Inbound and read were two FBI agents who worked during the Elliot Ness era, and they became wildly famous for their interrogation techniques. And they authored a book, Inbound and Read, on. Interrogation, which is actually cited by Thurgood Marshall, I believe, in the Frazier versus Cup case. See, so it all comes um, around. And there's still today the Inbound and Read Institute, which I believe is in Chicago. Right. And I've dealt with one detective who was an annual attendee and has, I still deal with him, oh. and he has mastered. I'm sure you don't want to reveal reveal to us what law enforcement. Sure, that was, that was a, a detective. Well, it used to be a, was a Portland detective for 25 years. Fantastic detective, uh, Dan, Daniel Young. We all call him Danny. He's now an investigator with the state fire marshal's wow. office. He was a lead investigator just on the recent Noise Street fire oh. case. So we rekindled oh, yeah. our relationship. I didn't mean to use that <laughs> Certainly not that clever. But uh, maybe when we do our topic, you can be a special guest for the whole show and we can talk. It's False confessions is something I'm really very interested in, but I feel like I'm veering away from our original yes, question, sure. which was, and it's my fault. We're there are lots of You see that. I You see it a lot on TV. And do you think it's done as often in real life where they say, hey, your buddy's in the next room and he's implicated you or you can go home if you just tell us everything or that kind of, Do you think that happens as often as we are led to believe by all the TV watching we do? <laughs> I, I don't want to sound like the, um, you know, get off my lawn old guy, but um, I, I think that those techniques... The detectives who are my age and most of whom have retired by now because they get, I don't want to sound Trumpian, but they, <laughs> they get the P word. I used to see it done very effectively by a lot of detectives. I do not see it done very much with the uh, the younger folks. Oh, that's hmm. interesting. Well, thanks, Matt, for being with us again. Thanks for and, having me. Um, we'll talk to you again next time. Now it's time for us to give our recommendations this week. And I'm going to let my sister Mo go first. What's your, what do you recommend? Well, I'm recommending, it's actually a book 
I hate, I hate when people say actually. Yeah, <laughs> How do you watch? I, I keep trying to swipe it and it won't swipe. <laughs> but no, since we're talking about serial killers, I just read this and it's really good. Oh, and I guess I should say Yes, you should say who wrote it and um, what it Patricia is. Patricia Cornwell, who's a very popular mystery novelist, yeah, wrote this. Scarpetta. Portrait of a Killer, Jack the Ripper, Case Closed. Mm. And I guess we could call him the great granddaddy of serial killers. Yeah. This book came out in 2002, and what she did, she kind of reluctantly got brought into it. And I don't want to give away a lot of it because it's really interesting if you read it without knowing a lot about what it's going to say. During the Jack the Ripper case, both the police and newspapers and everybody got a lot of anonymous, hundreds of anonymous letters from Jack, and they assumed at the time that a lot of them were hoaxes, a lot of them. This case takes a fella who wasn't really looked at closely. He was a famous artist in England. Charles Sickert, and he was not looked at seriously as Jack the Ripper, but she forensically, they examined forensically his letters and all sorts of stuff, and his life, and a lot of stuff that wasn't available and known back when Jack the Ripper was running around ripping his... About 100 years ago. Um, 100, it was in the 1880s, so oh, okay. it was, you know, 100 and... We're, we're not math people. Right, something like that. Makes it an excellent case for him Hmm. being Jack the Ripper, and she kind of debunks some of the more popular people they thought were. And I, as I said, I don't want to give away a lot of it. And one thing I like is I like with True Crime books, it has three different sections of photos. It's got a lot of photos. And one thing is, one kind of neat thing, one of the things about it is in some of his paintings that were very popular, he has what are now considered little, or were considered by her, Little clues. Clues. Kind of and there are hints. things that are similar to the way the scenes looked at oh, some of the crimes. One one thing that I troubles me a little it. about this book is I, I have a vague memory of it coming out in yes, 2002. I, it came out. I don't know if it was accepted as a definitive case for him being Jack the Ripper, and I'm going to have to look that up. I'm sorry. It seems like I remember hearing something on NPR about it. I listen to NPR right. every day. Mm-hmm. It seems like some people didn't think she made a good career. My only issue, my only issue with the book, there, there are some little personal things about her and them that I didn't care for. Mm-hmm. Also, I was confused at times. There were assumptions made. There were certain things you would know about Jack oh, yeah. that weren't well explained, and I had to go kind of look up. Mm-hmm. Kind of look up. I actually did look up. So, but it's called Portrait of a Killer. Jack the Ripper case closed. By Patricia Cornwell. It came out in 2002, but by the miracle of the internet and Amazon and used bookstores and stuff, you can probably find copies yeah. somewhere. Okay. Right. And do you have any recommendations for us? Yes, I was trying to think of specific books and oh, books. Think. It's so hard to think. Oh, of. I couldn't think of. No, I couldn't think of specific ones. So I was thinking. So I was thinking, who are my favorite? Some of my favorite writers. I think Elizabeth George is oh, one of my favorite. Your BFF. Yes, she's my friend. We have a photo on our website of Becky sitting with talking Elizabeth George. I met her. No, she sat, came and sat next. She to did. Me. I I'm sorry. It. She did come and sit. I next did not sit next to her. She, I was sitting there before she, she I, obviously wanted to be friends. With she me. did want to be friends, but she was shy. But anyway. But anyways, her books are the, um, Inspector Lindley, although he's not the most compelling character in the books, but he's, as yeah, always. I know, he's kind the of The protagonist bland. isn't always. And I don't really care much about him, but I like Barbara. There's a character, Barbara Havers. Which, she's my favorite. She's like one of the best fictional characters ever. I, I, you, I, you have I to totally read. agree. But uh, how many books are Although Elizabeth George seemed taken aback when that I said that. Yes, yeah. She seemed to, and it kind of She it, looked it, askance at me. Well, it actually kind of disappointed me a little because I've always been so happy was, that she yes. created this character who's not who's glamorous. Kind of a slob and, and, um, but maybe she's like, like laughing me. at her. <laughs> yeah. But how many books? There must be a 20. Are there that many? Maybe. There's a lot of I books in that series. A dozen or 15. But they're very good. And and she's on the top of my list for, for mystery. There are three that I kind of put on the same level, besides my sister Maureen Milliken. 
who is oh, very yeah, high. Yeah, yeah. She's oh, up you there. Flatter. She's like number one for me. Yeah. But then there's. Uh, I'll tell you, I don't have the money okay, this week yeah, to pay fine. you for saying you can, that. You can walk to me. Thank you. Um, P.D. James, mm-hmm. yeah. um, Ruth Rendell, and Elizabeth George. Yes. They're all great, great re- mystery writers because they are great writers. And you know who else is really good? I know my recommendations by online, but is J.K. Rowling. Yeah, her mystery her novels. Her strike novels are right. good. And actually, her the other one. Yeah, I, I didn't read the Harry Potter stuff. No, not Harry Potter, but you read A Casual Vacancy. I did, yeah. That I was really great. That. She's just a really good writer because right. she's good. As all writers, you know, if, they, if they're good with the characters and you care about the characters, that's really what I think a lot of people like about And I'd series. say of those three, I'd have to say Ruth Rendell, who's written under some other names too, like Barbara, Barbara Vine, Vine, yeah, is my favorite because she really gets into the psychological she does, stuff and she, and she does a good job. She is such a good storyteller as far right. as the mystery, but also the, if it's suspense. Right. You don't right. know what's going to happen, right. and, she, and she makes it all make sense, which is not easy. Not only her Inspector Wexford series, but her, her standalone books, too. Books. I, I felt like P.D. James kind of phoned it in at the end. Yeah. Her final yeah. book yes, was she did. very formulaic, but she was in her 90s. Anyway, so that's my, well, just a reminder, you can find us on the web at Crime and Stuff Online. You can find us on Facebook at Crime Ampersand Stuff. Oh, yes. Facebook's Crime Ampersand. And on Twitter at Crime and Stuff. And on iTunes, it is Crime and Stuff with Ampersand. And please, please, if you listen on iTunes, review us and comment because that's how other people will find out about us. If you like us, review us. If you like, even if you don't. Yeah, that's okay. But how can you not? Come on. There are people, believe it or not, there are people. And also, you can email us. At crime and stuff at Gmail. Is that A and D? Yes. It is A and D because they don't let you put an ampersand. So it's crime and stuff at right. They don't let you put an ampersand in a lot of stuff, which is disappointing because I think it makes it. And and if you have a question for Ask the Lawyer, we'd like to thank Matt Nichols for being here again. Email your question and we'll probably read it. Or even if you have any suggestions, like if there's a crime that you wanted us to to do or look into, we can do that. We would do that too. And there's also on our, if you want to help us out a little bit. Maybe so we can hire an audio engineer. engineer. Yeah. Yeah. There's a donate button on our on our website. Do you know my daughter Hannah knew what an ampersand was? What a smart girl! And uh, she also five. wrote her first mystery story, which I think, since it's only one sentence long, we still have time but to say. Last weekend, I was abducted by aliens. Yep, that's the entire story. But yeah. it was good. It's riveting. She's a pretty smart kid. Okay. She told me I was, when I said literally yesterday, she told me I was using an unnecessary word. Well, see, she is a true militant. She really is. She really is. is. She, chip off the old family blog. We'd like to thank Think Tank Coworking, oh, yes. where we are not at this week, <laughs> on the shining, shining Royal River. We're in our secret studio. I, I, the only thing I'll say about that is we are very fortunate that there wasn't a knock at the door in our mouth saying, what are you girls doing in there while we were doing this? But we'd like to thank Think Tank for its support. We'd also like to thank Soundjay for providing the, the theme noises. song. <laughs> Our theme song. Is that everything this week? Yes. Thank you for listening. <laughs>